0: the Painter Pride Quarterly Slush Pile. We're We're here to uh, let you in on our editorial process by reading submissions to our magazine on air and having our editorial discussion and even voting right here. Um, So welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, This isn't new, sadly, um, but right now we are all remote. Everybody's remote in their own place and we're zooming in, um, which which is normal to be on Zoom, but not to every one of us be separate. So apologize for any little technical glitches or you know, we can barely see, we can't really see each other's faces. And we have a lot of people in the room today, in the Zoom room at least. So I'm Kathleen Volkmiller and I'm going to um, bounce it up to um, Alex in New York. Hello, hey.
1: uh, Alex J. Tunney here. Um, just coming in from Long Island New York <laughs> happy to be back on the podcast again <laughs> Yay.
0: so glad to have
1: you I'm glad to be here Here, yeah. yeah. quote unquote
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and let's um stay in New York and go over to Jason hi Jason
2: hi I'm in Brooklyn I'm on sabbatical that's right. Woo! I turned in all my grades and now I am on sabbatical as long as we all still have jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, Zoom, I, I have to say the rest of the world caught up to PBQ. Yes, now
0: yeah. everyone's uh-huh. doing th-
2: doing the same thing we've been doing for years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's us, cutting edge, early adopters of, of wonderful poets and, and of Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so let's go approximately 6,328 miles away
3: and say hello to Samantha. Hi, Sam. Hi, Kathy. Hi, everyone. Um, I am here in Abu Dhabi, and this is my last recording from here because I'm moving to Dubai next week, so after seven years, so hi from Abu Dhabi for the last time. Um, Wow.
0: Wow. So um where do you think they like the Flintstones better?
3: The Flintstones. Yeah, uh-huh. Dubai or Abu Dhabi? I I have no idea. I I would think um Abu Dhabi because it's more family oriented, more cartoons. Abu
0: Dhabi,
4: Abu
2: Dhabi do.
0: You're, the face
2: the Mary is making is, <laughs> making is wonderful.
0: <laughs> and then I effed it up. <laughs> Mary, I couldn't see your face, but I'd like to say hello. Hello,
4: honey. Hi. That might be my favorite joke ever. Thank you very <laughs> much. That, that's the equivalent of, um, John did this one too about like how you can tell if you ha- have like, I don't know, scarlet fever or some joke like. And you, you basically take your hand, and is it the size of your face? Do you know this joke?
2: Yeah, then you smash the person's face into their head. Ha- yeah. you, so spa- you smash the hand into their face. I messed it into up. Into their yeah.
4: face. So this is how John knew that he wanted to marry me. Because I was like, what? Really? <laughs> and I put my hand in front of my face. And he was like, oh my god, I really get to do this. And he smashed my hand in my face. And that was it. Head over heels. Um, so I, that that <laughs> the Abu Dhabi joke is, is on par with that, Kathleen. And it might actually have to be the title of this episode. <laughs> hi. Fleshies. Abu Dhabi-Doo. Abu dhabi Do It's Marion here. Heartbroken that Sam's no longer going to be my neighbor. But I think we'll make do Abu Dhabi style. But um, i okay. But I'm, but I'm <laughs> So hi, Mayor. Where are Fine. you? I'm sitting in my living room uh, watching the sun begin to set uh, here in Abu Dhabi. That's where I am. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, and I'm, um, and, um, you know, thinking of all y'all and missing your faces, but <laughs> delighted that even though we are earlier adopters of Zoom, that we have moved to the visual, right? So now we get yeah. to see each other, right? Which wasn't always the case. Um, it's nice to see each other. Yeah, it's nice to see each other. All right, well, speaking of nice things to do, we've got poems to discuss. We um, have three poems, and you should see Sam dancing. We've got <laughs> <laughs> We've got three poems um, by Charlie Clark. Um, And what do you say? You want to just jump in? I think so. All right. So who would like to read the first poem by Mr. Charlie
0: Clark? It's called The Beast I Worship. I'll do it if nobody wants to because I'm volunteering quickly because I don't want to do the next one.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Respect for you,
0: Charlie Clark. I just don't want to read the longer one.
4: Charlie you've got a
1: long poem. Uh, I'll read The Beast I Worship. Okay.
4: All right, go for it, Alex.
1: All right. Clear in the throat. (laughs) The Beast I Worship. I light my torch and burn it. I am the beast I worship. Death grips. Beware. The beast I worship doesn't blame the tree for its life, expanding glamour. Yet beneath a sky full of blue, kingfishers crying tears from the tree, the placard with its Latin name laid out in a lush calligraphy, and as many as he can reach, as the narrow green articulations of spring starting to feel their way into the air, before he finally takes leave completely. The beast I worship climbs in and sets the whole thing burning down. The beast I worship offers meek relief. What sometimes feels like beauty, sometimes feels like grief.
4: Thank you. Bravo. Thank you, thank you. I give you Zoom emoji applause, if I could figure out how to do that.
1: There's a raising um, thing in the chat,
4: maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. There it is. I give you reactions. I give you reactions. I am um, really drawn to the puzzles in this poem. And I have to say I cheated a little bit. Right, because I didn't know what Death Grips is. I just didn't know. I'm like, what is that? Right. So, um, Slushie's, I'm as old as time, and didn't realize that that was a band. So this epigraph is actually coming from the song.
2: What kind of ah, band are they?
4: Um, Popish kind of thing. Say it louder, Alex. Experimental hip-hop is what the Wikipedia says. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia tells me experimental hip-hop, too. That's funny. I would have
0: thought it was metalhead, hairband kind of stuff.
1: kind of bridging that gap, but not in a, like, 90s way, if that makes
2: sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it totally does. It does. It does make sense.
4: Um... Yeah, so, so right, the, that epigraph, um, like, it, it does the opposite of steadying for me, right? It feels like a secret, like the poem's got a secret, like you have to know something about this band in order to crack the poem or, you, or something about that song in order to crack it. So it also sort of like puts me on the back foot a little bit, right? because I didn't know, right? So for me to follow the poem is to follow the sort of the tumble of the lines and the tumble of the image of this address to this beast I worship, right? Um, which is the self, right? right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that, that for me was kind of the important part of the um, epigraph is that it reflects the beast back to the self, mm-hmm. right? But the beast I worship doesn't blame the tree for its lie of expanding glamor. And that's like, oh wait, but that's also you. Right. Um, so there's like this, there's, there's something really interesting, like in in the song, like it's sort of um, like, like one of the things that happens in music is that things stand alone, that that because they're supported by melody, um, you know, like if you, if you try to recite a lot of Prince lyrics, like they don't really, like, <laughs> you can't just recite them. They're not, they're not going to be good poetry for the spoken voice um and so you kind of have that moment here with the beast I am the beast I worship like makes so much sense in a song but then it's sort of reflect it's reflecting reflecting and refracting the mm-hmm. um the beast back to the south and so you have all these kind of like um and speaking of the 90s um mm-hmm. you know, this kind of like satanist um undertone right this kind of like you know this belief that there's this like huge satanist undertone to the u.s and all these people are practicing um this kind of like covert child sacrifice and soul selling and i don't know did you guys watch the documentary about you know like when you sell your soul to the devil and he gives you the mark that you put on your cd so that you can like sell extra copies did you guys grow up with a lot of fundamentalist christians no just me
0: (laughs) (laughs) one.
2: <laughs> okay, um, I'll be from the heartland, um, but yeah, this is, so like I mean, I, I really like the way that that epigraph is working with and against the poem, and kind of doing a sort of song work against a kind of poem work. Hmm. Hmm.
4: Well, I think that for me is also the way it's going to sound a little nutty. It's almost like somebody's spinning the volume or like the speed like toggling between like a 45 and a 33 in a way, right? I mean, in the the rhythm of the lines, right? So the beast I worship doesn't blame line break, the tree for its lithe expanding line break glamor, right? So there's this like like spreading of sound in the middle of the line and then the drop glamor. Yet beneath the sky full of blue kingfishers crying tears from the tree, the placard with its Latin name laid out in a lush calligraphy Right. And like, and now I'm in, I'm into this sort of like this, the, the, the sound, right. And the, the sort of play that he's making happen at at the level of both rhythm and, and reverberation. And it's, it's just like, it's just a weird, weird, wonderful feeling, right. To be pulled through that way.
2: When there's also this like weird little Gerard Medley Hopkins reference in there, right. As Kingfishers Catch Fire and um, kingfish is crying tears from the tree that like the the double stress of the sprung rhythm line with the cesura and the double alliteration
4: Yep.
2: and i was like well done well done mr clark
4: fancy, but you know what I really love? You just put up rock and roll hands when you made the gesture for the what the sound is doing. Okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: My effort to demonstrate right. the sprung rhythm line with this is your. The, this is your is actually the the the, the lowered middle. Yes, I've, I have made the devil horns and the rock and roll side. in order to demonstrate. Gerard Manley Hopkins is spinning in his mm-hmm. grave. Um, is yeah. there a
0: is there a name for? Is there a form here that these this lines one and five and then and then I think it's like, four, you know, I, it doesn't there's not that much of a pattern to the rhyme, but there's a couple yeah. dead on rhymes. And then that, of course, that very last line is super on the nose. Right. We have, you know, lame and five lines later, name, yep. spring, thing, and then Wait, I'm
2: counting. It might be a sonnet. 1, oh. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Yeah, I need, I need like a, you know, like the air horn, like a, boop, boop, Like we need like a little, like when it's a sonnet, it's like, boop, 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 it's a sonnet, boop, uh, um, so
0: boop. If Joe were
2: actively here
0: right
2: now, I'm sure he would start that for us. But that's pretty good, the, boop, boop, Yeah, I missed my calling. I, uh, <laughs> I, I should have been an that. air horn.
3: My um my boyfriend did a, a quiz on Zoom with a bunch of his uh fellow architects like a week ago, and they got the question how many lines are in a sonnet, and he ran into the room and cheated. <gasps> <laughs> That's awesome. Quick,
0: I know somebody who knows.
3: Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm
2: actually I'm actually appalled that they didn't know. I I'm, I'm, like my takeaway from that story is not the cheating my takeaway from that story is well who taught them english some some literature teacher somewhere has failed
3: yes multiple
2: <laughs> multiple times over and over again for their entire education
4: yeah all right so but but i think you know what this kind of comes back to the feeling in me of being both like in the territory of the familiar, right? Like that the structure's familiar, there's something deeply familiar, and then also sort of destabilized at the same time. Like it's it's sort of warping in and out as it's sort of moving into this um, reflection on the self, the, like self beast tree image thing that it's that it's working through. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: Like I was thinking like without, I'm gonna epigraph, I, I,
2: am, I yeah. feel
1: I'm like confusing two things. An epitaph, okay, epigraph. (laughs) An epigram
2: is by itself. An epigram is like a telegram, and you send it on its own, and it's a short poem. An epigraph is like a paragraph, and it's part of something larger.
4: Right, and an epitaph is a farewell.
2: Yes. (laughs) Um,
1: Because without it, uh, I feel like the beast is like this abstract thing, and where's this poem going? But then I like what it does where it's a reflection of the self, but removed. Because it's not directly me, our eye, it's this beast. But it is me because I, I put it up top, up, but it's kind of like a distance from it. And I feel like that kind of does, I, I does something. I don't know what that something is yet
2: because I haven't figured out how to articulate it, but it's something.
4: <laughs> but it-
2: Oh, go ahead. Oh no, because I was going to say it. It feels to me like it's very much about this kind of question of how animal or humans, right? Mm-hmm. That like the beast is a sort of non-like we like we say the word beast to distinguish from from person or from human, and so the poem is kind of in this space of nature. Um, the tree, the birds, um, but then there's, there's the Latin name, there's the placard, there's the calligraphy. And so like sort of nature, the way into nature is a human way into nature, and yet the human is natural, right? The, the, the beast, the human is animal, and yet it kind of like keeps reverberating back or kind of keep rotating around this idea of the person's place in nature. And so I, I was sort of really enjoying that part. I get lost. I mean, it's sort of like, it's a centrifuge, right? Like you're sort of like being spun out in all these kind of weird ways. But then like we said, with the form, the, the familiarity of the 14 lines, um, the sort of like heavy three stress line, um, it does kind of keep you there and centered. But, it, but for me, it was really about this question of sort of like how, how beastly is human, how human is beast.
1: Mm.
4: Yes, right, and, the, and that, that, that sort of impulse, like, you know, pulses through is this, like, impulse to life and, and generation and this burgeoning quality, right, that's even lush calligraphy, right, this, the tree, but then the sort of, like, um, the, the impulse to burn it down, right? Like, the, the, the Beast of Worship climbs in and sets the whole thing, line break, burning down, right? Um, which is then called a meek relief, right so that so that that then goes to that final line right of the the beauty and the grief, right so that there's this really ambivalent um, and I would say human relationship to natural beauty, right that you love it and fucking destroy it simultaneously right that that seems to be at the center of this too um, perhaps
3: And I think this idea um... Is explored like in a different way, very, very quickly with the French versus the English. Um, and I think of French, and a lot of native English speakers think of French as like an elevated language, um, a more beautiful language, and English having more of a utilitarian purpose, uh, utility purpose throughout um, the world. And kind of the same way we think of like man and beast, and beast having this like, um, you know, I think of oxen or you know, water buffalo or something, who, who we put to use for the labors of man. Um, I, I really enjoyed this poem.
4: Well team, um, I don't wanna rush us, but Charlie's also submitted a second poem that's, that is gonna bend our minds a little bit and take some time. Do we wanna keep discussing this one or do we feel like we're ready to vote? I
1: could vote. vote. Yeah? Vote to vote. OK. I um, will not say
4: anything
2: this time. Call well, <laughs> OK. So we're doing
4: it like this, ready? We're, we're thumbing it? All right. I don't know. I always get so nervous about this part because I'm so used to not seeing you. What do we do?
0: I, I like your thumbs. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three, vote. Well, look at that. It's unanimous.
4: That? It's unanimous. All right, problem number one is in PBQ. Thank you, Charlie Clark. We're worshiping the beast you worship. Okay, great. Okay, so now- I can volunteer. You wanna do it?
2: Yeah, yeah. All right. right. This is a, I, I go way back with Charlie, so I owe him a good reading.
4: You know what, before we go any further, I think maybe that's worth a mild comment right which is you know we read we read these poems that are submitted to PBQ cold like it's either slush pile submissions so jason didn't actually know that this was coming up for discussion until it landed in its inbox <laughs> and then and then
2: jason thinking, i've known charlie since i was 19 years old and i went to a party with a really really dear friend of mine and at the end of the party they were dating um oh, wow. and Charlie um Charlie I don't know we, we've we've we were both creative writing undergraduates at the University of Maryland um, mm-hmm. we all piled into his Volkswagen bus and went to Graceland for spring break back when you could do those sorts of things um mm-hmm. you know like I he's he's a really good friend um and you know off and on we we sort of like traveled in the same circles and here and there and like he was he was a head waiter some years after I was a head waiter at Bradley. Okay. Um, I got to see him in Houston. Um, I'm actually really good friends with his wife as well, um, Sasha West, She's also a really brilliant poet um, and the author of Failure and I Bury the Body, national winner of the National Poetry Series. Um, so yeah, so I, I Charlie and I have been like sort of in, in like the helix of poetry land since we were 19 years old. Um, and we did not oh I should I I don't know if I should tell this story. If you guys get really mad about this we'll edit it out. Um, okay. one Halloween the Halloween after Princess Diana had died Charlie is a redhead and his girlfriend Sarah at the time also a redhead and she was going to go as Princess Diana with mangled Princess Diana with like her heart on the outside and he was going to be paparazzi and I was going to be a surgeon and massaging her heart and anytime we told people are like plan for this costume people like we we really feared that people would hurt us like we really thought that like people would people were so angry we're like what did you know her like it was it was sort of like our dark John Waters sense of humor um from Maryland. but we we did not actually dress up like that although I will say that the winning costumes that Halloween were all um Siegfried from Siegfried and Roy because he'd been mauled by the tiger oh by the tiger oh my god And, and, and Mother Teresa had just died. All of the winning Princess Diana costumes were Princess Diana and Mother Teresa holding hands. Those were like, the oh couples. my goodness. that was the couple's costume.
0: Um, Jason, I have to yeah. tell you something. My husband and I did exactly that. I was <gasps> making Princess Diana and Don was a paparazzi.
2: I am so jealous. And, did, and, and people thought it was funny and people were like. Um, some people, you
0: know, we got groaning laughs. Nobody was really like, that's wrong. No, no, but nobody, yeah. really, people groaned, you know, but I had, like, a tiara crooked and right. blood and stuff, and I actually wore a steering wheel. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> how that happened. I, like, I, like, put my arms through it,
2: you know? Like. Yeah. So this is clearly why we are friends. This is clearly, this is clearly, um, we are all connected.
4: Okay, that right there. that before you start to read the poem, wait, did you want to finish?
2: Well, I, I did I wanted to say one more thing about our ethical commitments, yeah. which is that yeah. as as far as I know, the PbQ um rule of recusal has always been whether or not you feel that knowing the other person will cloud your judgment. that yeah. poetry world is so small that we often know each other and we often become quite good friends with people based on liking their work or through liking their work or sort of like these things come together. Um, and so the PBQ rule has always been, if you, if you don't think you can be fair, then you recuse, recuse yourself. But if you feel like you can be fair, like, and, and certainly, I I don't want to say who, but I mean, there have been times when I've given a thumbs down to poems that I really, poems by people who I really like.
4: Okay, I, thank you so much for articulating that, because in, in a way, for the slushies, right, listening to this podcast gives you a backstage view of how poems are selected for PBQ, right? And oftentimes, there are just natural themes in the conversation. And this question of when to you recuse yourself is actually in, an interesting one that, that often isn't talked about, right? Because sometimes it does feel like there's like an insider circle, and if you know the right people, you get your stuff published, Right. But for PDQ, it really is a democratic editorial process. And so we're trying to be as like ethical and upfront about these connections as possible. And I guess that's the thing I wanted to, to say out loud too, which is, you know, the pain of quarterly as an institution, right, is in its own way, a, a, to borrow a, a, an image that Jason's been thinking with and writing about in APR about sonnets, it is a helix, right? Like we are so interconnected now for almost 30 years. like. In the world of poetry, with friends and friends, right? And then we're always taking new people into this conversation, and those connections are going to lead to other connections. So in a way, it's sort of like you know we're we, we are both the I don't know like the landscape and the map, both of it. We're just both it, right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> in Marx's terms, like, with the figure and the ground.
0: Uh, yeah. I'd like to just add too that the um, we've had more than one staff for more than 20 years. And so we also have always made great use of that. If, um, you know, a dear friend of PBQ Philly, somebody who's even been in our reading series or something submits, we often aren't the ones who discuss it. We would bounce it to New York or Abu Dhabi. Um, And even, um, I'm thinking about even very recently, Abraham Smith, Um, Mm -hmm. I love every word that comes out of his mouth or his fingers Mm -hmm. and um, I could, when I, he submitted to us, I could hear it and I knew that no one on the staff other than me knew him, like, or who was at that meeting. I mean, not on the staff, obviously, but who was going to be at that meeting. And I was so glad, you know, and I was sitting there dying because I just wanted to like sell it, make sure they voted yes, you know, and I had to like sit on my hands (laughs) <laughs> zip my mouth and, and um, and it got in and it felt like extra wonderful because I, I would have voted with all fingers up, you know, and they still liked it. So that'll happen too. I even mean, like tell the staff if you're at a reading, go ahead and solicit. But when you bring it, you know, you, you might have to hush your mouth.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Right. True. True. Yeah. Okay. That's a sort of backstage, true backstage moment for editing and discussing manuscripts. Um, And now, Jason, over to you.
2: Address to that aneptic gladiator, Timorous. One, supposing the futility of language as a means of protecting oneself from harm. Your armor amounts to the skin of some very large dead beasts, yet you retain such glamour. If you don't know the word, that's because the Scots hadn't invented it yet. There wasn't enough enchanting mist strewn on even a rainy Roman summer morn to veil the parts your opponent hoped to hack from you. Had there been, had a cloud become the air around you, had you survived and done it in this way, had the poets seen this and gone crazy, probably you still would have been stuffed back into your cage fed no more gruel than usual by the mulch-hearted man who ran the place before next week's show where he'd charge double for all the people eager to see some new brute cut your meek gray swarm in two. Pardon, please, these aimless suppositions. Did you know glamour is only a corruption of grammar? This proves nothing but the impossibility of any word's use to the dead. No word will build a door out of air and let you step safely through it before it grammars shut. Two, concerning the awfulness of audiences across time. Should you somehow fast forward through millennia, it would likely be the sons of paper product scions laughing at your harm. They will be no less noxious than whoever watches you now. Before I waste our time trying to explain the value of flowered vines embroidered on what people wipe up grape juice spills and urine with, let me just call them rags. It is a sound so plain, I hope it makes sense no matter what the tongue or age. It's rags, the audience throws at you not that they want to offer salves or congratulations, they simply want to throw things at you and rags are the cheapest thing on hand. Were I to acknowledge that the word audience existed in your tongue, what would that matter? Except for how it meant something more like listening then, which means irony existed then too, as some hack-eared opponent hollowed out your mouth, And to slow the bleeding, you filled it with the audience's rags, the loosened red thread ends of some drifting in the wind from your mouth toward the lords drunk at center court, who hear only their own voices naming which next portions of your body they have paid good money to see your rivals cleave. Three, cataloging some of what awaits him after the morning's dogs are done. Heaven is an archive full of friends whose legs have been restored. You can walk with them through the ever longing haze and regather the other parts both they and you had scattered, head and brains and arms and tongues and eyes, the eyes most especially, because there is so much now that you are out of the arena's daily dust and blight, out of the darkness of its catacombs, there is so much now for you to gaze at. It is worth acknowledging the Norseman who would, drunk at sea some misdecked century hence, invent the verb to gaze as a variant of to gape. What does not describe a wound exactly, but does suggest, a body breached, as well as it does awe, which in this heaven's tongue is infinite.
0: Great reading.
2: Wow.
0: Uh, well, while everybody um, absorbs that, let me remind our listeners that you can go look at that. It was uh, long to hear, I'm sure, four pages, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go look at pbqmag.org at the poem itself so that um, you can get in it with us.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And that silence is thinking.
3: That is
0: the sound of thinking.
4: It is the sound of thinking. All right, so I just want to jump in and say, there's so much in this poem that I love that, and, and it is both in the, the style and the sound of it, but the content, like I'm, I'm, you know, I, full disclosure, I don't know if Timorous was, or was not an actual gladiator, right? Like anybody, anybody, like, are we, is there, I, does Ovid write about Timorous? Because he should, um, any, no, okay, good, so. All right, thank you for being in there in, in that confusion with me. So the whole piece is called address to that inept gladiator timorous, and then it's got these three sections. Um and the the movement from like what what it means for Timorus to be like in the battle, right, in the in the Roman arena, right? And then the second move, like switching to the audiences, like preoccupations, right? Um I just I'm so drawn to that. Right. And then, and then the, the third, it becomes a sort of more like strangely contemplative um, space, right. Of still brutal images, but a little bit more um, conceptualizing. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm a sucker for any like, like audience study stuff. Right. I know that sounds totally nerdy, but putting, putting the reader inside, you know, this, this, bloody rags and, and battle in the, in the arena is pretty fascinating.
2: I, I love the way that it sort of is breaking down this fourth wall, right? That there's like this way in which it's telling us the story of this poor Scottish gladiator who's suffering these terrible, brutal events. And then this turn towards the language by which it's being told. And so Mm -hmm. there's this way in which, like, it keeps sort of doing this kind of like really ethical work of kind of bringing back um, the dead and the atrocity with a kind of um, attention to the way in which that's being brought back, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and sort of the impossibility of of bridging the gap. And um, they are also—I won't make this sound this time—but they are also each fourteen-line sections. Um,
4: Stop! Are they really? Um, They are ah uh, <laughs> Charlie sneaking in the sonnets
2: <laughs> and we were we were both Phyllis Levin student what can I say
4: oh my goodness
2: <clears throat> the sonnet looms large yeah
4: um
3: but yeah that
4: that move that he's making too the sort of linguistic work right and the sort of etym- etymology of the these words um a- again is it's part of that wonderful jarring between right the brutal image and the sort of philosophizing that's going along with it and you know then it's sort of you get that sort of meta delight right of, of the comment like commenting on the commentary about the thing being observed
0: right I love that last the last section so much right yeah it's just
1: Yeah. Uh, to piggyback off Jason's thing, I because breaking the, the breaking or uh, going through the fourth wall, however you want to enter in that wall, uh, <laughs> is not easy to do, and he I think he walks the tightrope pretty well, and like you you said, Marion, just like. The commentary but the commentary is its own commentary in a way because it's like you don't care about this you're, you're dying <laughs> so forgive me i'm making a point here but sorry <laughs> so i i the yeah well
4: done <laughs> so um i don't i'm I, jason i don't want to put you on the spot but i'm about to <laughs> <laughs> go. So so Jason's got this wonderful essay out in American Poetry Review about sonnets and the sort of the, the spiral of that sonnets take, right? A sort of the helix spiraling um that happens in terms of rhythm and sound and sense and concept, right? Rather than the sort of like more obvious um juxtapositions of those in the forms that we know, whether it's Elizabethan or Petrarchan right yeah. um, and the one of the ways that beautiful essay really blows my mind is that it's also anchored in this notion of the sonnet as a sort of machine for the self right like it's it, it is a mechanism through which the self is being performed right and I think that's why these poems really just like like enchant me and and fascinate me because it's 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 an address to a performer. It's an address to an actor, this poor inept gladiator, right? And so like my eye is on this like suffering gladiator, but my mind is around the speaker. Like it's this, Mm -hmm. so the subject, so here's me putting Jason on the spot. What do you make of the way the subjectivity is being performed in in this sequence?
2: Well, um, okay, so if I I have to put on like my, my scholar hat, um, yeah, that, I mean, I mean, sort of the commonplace about the sonnet is that it, and I, and it's true. I mean I, shouldn't, I don't, I don't say commonplace to dismiss it, but I sort of say commonplace is like you know, sort of what everyone knows about a sonnet, is that it inaugurates modern subjectivity and it inaugurates the divided self, and that the sonnet, with the octave and the sestet, or with the duzane and the couplet, enacts the divided self, and so that the conflict can be internal rather than externalized. That if we're talking about medieval poetry um the aspects of the self are distributed across allegories uh, you know so there'll be someone who represents this aspect of you and someone who represents that aspect of you but the, but the the subjectivity remains um singular and then in the sonnet you know you can have all of these confusing um you you have depth right you're you're confusing like you don't make sense to yourself you have to explore you have to reconcile you have to figure out um and so the argument i was making in that essay is that um we often think of the turn as kind of this shift, right? We start with the octave doing this and it, it sets up a riddle and it answers it in the Or, it, You know, there's one speaker here and there's another speaker here. There's, you know, um, a, a, a paradox that's synthesized. And so what I was noticing was that there are a number of sonnets that actually kind of intensify. And I think these do that same thing. And if you're looking for the sort of divided self, um, it's, yeah, right. I mean, it's there. <laughs> the self is simultaneously aware of the inadequacy of language to describe the brutality of the situation. That in reading about this um, poor, unfortunate gladiator, uh, and there is a kind of right statute of limitations on atrocity. Right, there is a kind of way in which um, the fact that this happened in the Roman conquest of Britannia. Um, prior to 800, um, you know, we're sort of like, it happened a really long time ago. Um, you know, we're, we're not quite as sensitive to it as if, if we were speaking about, you know, police brutality um, in Georgia or police brutality in, in St. Louis. Um, yeah. And so these poems, I think in terms of like what they're doing with the Sonnet Forum, um, one, there's that play in subjectivity that is both identifying with the um, gladiator and sort of observing it from a distance Mm-hmm. Um, there's a deep attention to the way in which the self is divided between the story and the language in which the story is told and both of those kin- things kind of intensify to ultimately create I, what I think is tenderness right but I think what happens in the last um, poem or in the last section of the poem is that Clark um, by placing Timorous in heaven and I don't know like are we all do, does everyone remember the first episode of The Simpsons where Bart Simpson drives the um, Sunday school teacher crazy by asking about like what's in heaven? Right, that your your pets aren't in heaven. Like, what if you were an amputee and you go to heaven? Is the yard waiting for you? Yes, Bart. And then it, and then it's a whole you know it's like but it's it's actually like I mean part of the joke is that. Um, People do th- spend a lot of time thinking about these things that Bart is driving the teacher crazy by asking and sort of taking it to a point of absurdity. But um, uh, Clark is kind of doing the same thing. And by bringing it to heaven um, and sort of restoring his body and restoring his eyesight, he's simultaneously, you know, kind of um, calling attention to just the sheer atrocity of the gladiator's life and abuse, but then also restoring it um, at the same time and then that connection between gaze and gape right and that that we the gaping wound um is Mm -hmm. etymologically related to the word gaze um i think it's gorgeous i really like does that is that like enough (laughs)
4: yeah right i have one more thing i want to say in addition to what you just said but alex is trying to get in Oh no, no,
1: because I have a dumb thing. I may need a buffer in between that brilliant thing and what you and what I'm gonna say. So if you want to say something smart, do it now before I, do
4: <laughs> <laughs> I I love how Jason's like, oh, everybody knows this stuff. So let me just recap, right? And, and I'm like if I ever knew that about sonnets, right? Like I know, I feel like my the sparkles in my brain must be visible to you all. Thank you, Jason mm-hmm. Schneider. Um, the, the one thing that I wanted to, to say, because Jason's helping me see it, right, is that there's the, this, this way in which this, the speaker of these poems, right, is moving from audi- like, audience, like acknowledging his own position as audience and author, right? So the pair there, like the bonding between the speaker as author and, as, and also as audience, so the, the middle poem, the, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the awfulness of the audiences across time, I can't help but feel like the, the, the speaker is condemning himself as well, which has been sort of like the self deprecation all the way through. And so the tenderness works t- like 20 different ways in the last movement, because it's tenderness towards timorous, but also towards the author as remaker, right, or the person who can tell and reconstitute right and in, in and in a way of uh, deepening and dignifying or you know that's so I I I didn't I wasn't able to sort of see that as clearly until Jason helped me
2: That's beautifully said.
4: So
1: you keep on calling the gladiator timorous and I'm yeah. wondering now that like I looked up the word timorous that mm-hmm. I, is it like a pun a, or a play on words or cuz like uh It's a bad name words.
2: for a gladiator. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because timorous for those who aren't looking it up on Google by themselves um, is so showing or suffering from Nervous's fear, or lack of confidence.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I don't know if would somebody be named timorous or if uh, it's if a little twinge in the title, like he's or he's phrasing it a certain way, like this nervous, inept gladiator or. Any like the that the word maybe sounded like a, uh, somebody's name at that time. So yeah. I just thought it was funny that like is is this guy is this guy's name Timorous or
4: not? But, I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like I actually went deep Google thinking like was there somebody because the the name yeah. sounds like it could be a character name, right? Which is part of the beauty of the yeah the 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 joke in the poem, I
2: suppose, yeah. or humor in the darkness, but. Yeah. When you looked up Timorous, um, what, what's the etymology of it?
1: Oh, good call. Because uh,
2: it looks, I mean, I only know it from a Robert Burns poem, which is in, like, sort of that Scottish dialect. We yeah. countering Timorous beastie. Um,
1: <laughs> so, so I was just
2: wondering, because obviously, I mean, I mean the, the gladiator that he's talking about is is Scottish, that he's been sort of kidnapped, oh, or in, he's been enslaved from the Scots. So I'm
1: looking at the origin, it's going land to marry to fear. To to fear both Latin then medieval Latin is to Timur, which I eh. and then old French to and then late Middle English is we get to that
2: so it's 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 definitely a Latin word so it's it's coming in with the um, Roman and yeah Invader invaders occupiers
1: Homology huh. with PPQ. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. I love etymology. I always thought if I didn't go like the writing way, I would have, I would have been a linguist and studied etymology. It's fascinating.
2: Have you guys all read Owen Banfield's History in English? What's, what's what's the Owen Banfield book called? History in, um, and I'm looking it up. All right. Um, History of English in something words. Oh, I meant Owen Barfield, um, mm-hmm. history and English words. But I don't know. I always, I, I, I mean, I love what, what, um, I love what Charlie is doing in the poem, in part because, like, I mean, I like etymology, but I don't think that there's some like deep ancestral like when people are like, well, this word comes from that, and it's like, well, if you didn't know that, then it doesn't it's not meaningful. Right. I mean, like, it didn't. It's not like it's not cosmic. Like language isn't, you know, like. um, metaphysical and kind of carrying with it. Like, if you look for it, you can find it. But like, that, that's not the same as, you know, like, you know, the, the sort of like, well, this really means that. Sort of, I don't know, I, I stopped making sense like three sentences ago. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, you know what, Kathy, I, to your point about etymology and linguistics, and um, one of the things I've always, like, I always keep in mind when I'm reading through the slush pile is the poems that you love and the poems that you hate. And pause for a moment, right? That's that's like a crazy way of reading. Meaning, it's like I know what I like, but I'm also like, is Kathy gonna like that? You know, like, is, is, is about Kat, Kathy gonna read that, right? And over the years, you and I have often talked about your disdain for poems that are about writing poetry, right? Like, like that. You know, you're just like, no, thank you, right? Sure. Strong chair. <laughs> Okay. Right. I
3: feel that way about a lot of um, contemporary books when the protagonist is a writer oh, or yes. teaching MFA. It kills me. It just kills oh, yeah. me. I'm like, where's the imagination?
0: Sam, a lot of a lot of the fiction <laughs> we get, no insult to all of our submitters, but uh, yeah. often, so often the protagonist is a teacher or a yeah. writer. Yeah, they're teachers so often. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> write what you know. (laughs) I guess they're following that adage.
3: Yeah there's a great um interview um with Zadie Smith where she's talking about contemporary literature and she says um about how you know music is is the middle class like testament to to creativity right like um people can afford to have a guitar and then she's talking about how like in this, this era of autofiction and like people not feeling like they have an authority to write outside of the here and now. We Mm. see this, everyone writing, you know, in present tense, in first person, and not veering away from the other, or I think that's even true of occupations. She didn't say that, but I think Mm -hmm. that's a little bit why this proliferation I think is everywhere. In a way that doesn't feel the same, like if you look back at Little Women, and Joe March like wants to be a writer, like it still feels special then. So Mm -hmm. I think there's something different when I think about people as protagonists in the past who wanted to do this like rebellious act and write, but now I find it less rebellious and less interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Snap!
4: snap. I think I raise it because what Charlie Clark does here is so weirdly fresh, right? And, and it is also very not, right? Like he's he's giving you the etymology of words in a poem that's also commenting on communication, right? So it comes really close to being the thing that would annoy the shit out of you, but doesn't. I, or I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm not getting a sense that you're annoyed by this, is all I'm saying.
0: No, well, I for one am not at all because it's just so well crafted and so, uh, you know, you know, the other thing that always bothers me, as I've said before, like when I can feel the author going, I'm so clever, I'm so clever, and it has none of that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It's right. just really smart. It, it, it I think um, this would be a great poem to use in a classroom for a million reasons, right? Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the three sections are so similarly structured, with the kind of that move towards the etymology, and they all have something really interesting to say about language that actually sort of like carries this kind of equal attentional weight with someone being dismembered, <laughs> which is amazing. Just awesome. <laughs> all
4: right, I um, uh, I think we might be ready to vote, party people. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. I'm closing my eyes. Somebody count.
0: (laughs) One, two, three, vote. Yay! And it is with very little dramatic tension that I shall tell you. Ah. unanimous yes!
4: (laughs) Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, my lovelies. Thank you so much, Charlie Clark, for these amazing poems. Um, I know Charlie Clark has a book coming out soon, I think. Um, Four Way. Four Way, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Um, I'm not sure that these poems are part of that. The, the, what's being collected. Um, but I just want to give him some, you know, props and love for the book coming out on Four Way. And uh, we're delighted to have his poems in PBQ. Yee-haw. Yee-haw. All
0: right. All right. Does anybody have anything they want to say? Anything they're doing? Everybody good? Okay. all right well um we don't know when this will be released so i don't know what state anything will be I and mean, we really we're just all the same place of not knowing anything at all other than yeah. um, we're here we're we're still doing this and but,
2: oh uh, i i'm doing and because i can't have a book launch because my book party can't be a physical party yeah um i'm scheduling one-on-one readings so people can like pick a 15 minute time in my day through a google spreadsheet and um and that's, uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm doing this individual book launch. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. And I'll, I'll let you know what happened.
0: Yeah. I think that's a terrific yeah. idea. Um, truly. And you'll do it for at least a year, right? As long as people want it. As
2: long as people want it and keep buying the book, I will show up.
0: Good. That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> sure. yeah. Maybe oh that God. would be a great thing in your class. Teach a poem of Jason's, and then have Jason's. Oh,
2: that'd be nice. and, yeah. that Yeah, I will. I will 100% show up and and read poems and answer questions.
0: Awesome. All yeah. right, all right. I guess that's it then. So, um, slushies, please uh, tell us how we're doing. Follow us on all the social media platforms and keep reading.
4: Woohoo! Woohoo! La la la! Love you guys. Well, Thank nice. you, Charlie
0: Clark. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>